Hey, this is Dr. Patty Sadala. Welcome to my Experience Jesus podcast. In this identity episode, we will examine the fullness of Christ and all that he brings to you when he indwells in your spirit. I like to call this the isness and the doesness of God. It answers the question at the most basic level who is God and what does he do? Let's begin with something I call God's isness. That is, all that he is, was, and always will be completely apart from you. This is referring to the omni-truths of God. Remember, if he was these things before he created humanity, then we cannot be a factor in them at all. The word omni means all, which is an absolute word. I remember the day the light bulb went off in my heart for what I would later call the isness of God. I was working on an extensive Bible research project on God's name, I Am, also known as Jehovah in the Greek and Yahweh in the Hebrew. L is another word for the all-caps word in the Bible, Lord. The revelation came as I was meditating on the truth of Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And John 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The part that jumped out to me at that moment was the who was part. I realized that before God decided to create the heavens and the earth and all of us, he was. In this self-centered culture, We often filter our ideas about God through the lens of me. We wonder, how can God love me because I'm such a hot mess? Or we may think, God's just too busy to even notice me. Or worse yet, why on earth would I need God? But God was traits and characteristics even before he created people at all. And these characteristics are not in any way affected by us. They are simply who he is. The Matthew Henry commentary on Exodus 3.14, where it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is what Matthew Henry's commentary said. A name that denotes what he is in himself, I am that I am, explains that his name Jehovah signifies that, number one, he is self-existent. He has his being of himself. And two, that he is eternal and unchangeable, always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And three, that he is faithful and true to all of his promises, unchangeable in his word as well as in his nature. Let Israel know this, I am has sent me to you. I am, and there is no one else besides me. All else have their being from God and are wholly dependent upon him. As I said before, the word omni means all. Now, if God is something, that means he is all of something. This also means that I can't have that something that he is without him. 
I can't love without God. I can't have peace without God. I can't be good without God. God has to share his characteristics, or really rather cover me in his characteristics for me to be or have them. When God shares himself with us, there is not less of him. There is more of him in us, like a candle that lights another candle. The light is, isn't spread and shared among the two candles. It multiplies. I decided to ask Jesus about this observation, and I asked him, Jesus, tell me more about this issue of your I amness or isness, Lord. He said, yes, this isness, as you call it, is a significant understanding about me and my relationship with you and all people. The more areas that you can recognize this as truth, the more areas you can learn to surrender to me. If you know that I am something, then you know that you can't have or be that thing apart from me. You can only allow me to be that thing through you. This awareness is the first step to surrendering it an issue to me. That surrender leads to freedom. There are many more areas to learn about related my name Jehovah the Great I Am that you will discover along the way, but just remember that once you've discovered them, it's time to submit them to me. A quick Bible study tip on how to discover them is to simply put in the search bar verses about I am or I am statements from the Lord, and you will discover all those characteristics that he's talking about here. What I wanted to do is, is share four omni-characteristics of God, and I wanted to begin with the first omni-truth that most theologians actually forget to include, and it is God's omnibenevolence. When I was researching God's love for a biblical research project on what God's love has with, to do with your calling, I came to realize that no matter what I do or have done or will do, God loves me. And love is not an emotion in the same way that we usually box in that word. God's love is not tied to anything related to my behavior or choices. God can't love me less if he tried to because it isn't something he does. It's something he is. He doesn't feel it. He is it. Because God is unchangeable, he simply cannot love me less than perfectly, unconditionally, and wonderfully. 1 John 4.16 says, We have come to know and have believed the love of God is for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. What a relief that you and I don't need to be perfect to earn God's love. God was love before he laid the foundations of the earth, before you were a glimmer in your mother's eye. He is love now, even when you mess up, and even when you don't feel it. He will be love forever, long after this earth has gone away. God's benevolence, omnibenevolence, is not limited just to his love. It's interesting, when you look up the word benevolence in the power thesaurus, 
which is a crowdsourced resource where people say, what do you think of when you hear this word? And it was really interesting. When you look up that word in the Power of Thesaurus, you will get a long list of words that all include the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Trees don't bear different types of fruit. They bear one kind of fruit. So notice that it's called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. I believe that the word love is actually defined by all those other words. God does not separate any of those characteristics from each other in himself. They are all part of his omna benevolence. When you abide in Christ, you learn how to reflect his nature. He will begin to transform you into these characteristics. Wouldn't it? Be great for you to have a little bit of peace, self-control, and kindness as your natural, everyday reflection of the Lord. This is not only possible, it is the journey of the abundant Christian life to allow him to cover you, blanket you with who he is. That's one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit in dwelling in you, is to transform you into these characteristics. Now let's look at God's omnipresence. God's omnipresence means that he is, was, and always will be present everywhere. This spans across all time and space. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And Psalm 139, 1-18 addresses this truth perfectly. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost beings. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God is self-existent. He was, he is, and always will be. God holds all time in his hands, but he lives outside of time. What does that mean? 
that means that everything that has ever happened or will ever happen, God has already seen. He knows how your life will turn out, not because he's directing your life like a puppet on a string, but because every decision you will ever make, he has seen you make already. This is why all of those prophecies, over 300 prophecies about Jesus, have already been fulfilled in the New Testament, not because of puppet stringing, but because he has seen the end from the beginning. That's why we can trust what he tells us will happen, will happen. And all the prophecies and revelation yet to come will happen because he's already seen them happen. Why is this important? Psalm 1611 says, You will make known to me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Because if God gives you a promise, it's because he's seen it come to pass, and he already knows what job you're supposed to take, what house you're supposed to buy. Your life book was written before you were born, and it includes the ideal story that he's written about you. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. Most of us will never live according to that ideal book. But if you learn how to tune to him and seek his face for your direction day by day, you have a greater chance of aligning with that purpose and will and obeying his voice. The minimum condition for every promise in the Bible is listen, listen and obey. If you listen and obey, he aligns you with the plan that he has for you that he wrote about in Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. God is the God of all, not just those who believe in him. Psalm 19, 16 says, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which means that long before you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, he was with you watching you, seeing everything that's ever happened to you. God will never leave or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you, and he will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. God is with you right now, not just when you pray or when you think you need him. He is always with you. God is omnipotent. God is almighty. He is all strength, all might, all power. We have no strength without him. You may ask, what does that mean? I do things on my own strength all the time. I get up, I walk, I talk, I drive, I exercise, I work. Well, not exactly. The Lord spoke to me about his omnipotence. And he said, I hold all creation in balance. The ability that all creatures and people have to think and do things are all given by me. I am the breath of life. If I held my breath, all creation would cease to exist. Everything you do, you do by my power. I am the God of all, not just those who acknowledge me. You need my strength always, not just when you are aware that you are in need of it. When you understand this truth, you will ask, desire, and seek for more of my strength. You will also realize your need to surrender issues for which you think you are in control. I hear people say that they are afraid of losing control all the time. You can't technically lose something that you never had. 
It's actually a good thing that the one who is in control is omnibenevolent, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. The sooner we realize that, the easier it is to surrender things to the Lord, including your worries. But the one thing the Lord cannot do for you is your job. He will not impose his will on you. You must choose to partner and cooperate with these omnitruths for the best Christian life journey. You can. We still live in a fallen world, and the decisions that we make can have us fall outside of his umbrella of protection. He's a gentleman, and he just watches us and waits for us to ask him to uh, into our hearts and then to ask him for his help, and then he's very happy to help us. God is omniscient. That means that God is all-knowing. He is sovereign, and he is the source of all wisdom. He understands in a way that is more complete than our human minds even have the capability to process. The Lord sees in the natural and in the supernatural. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. There is nothing natural or supernatural that God does not know about. He is sovereign, which means he holds the reins of everything that's happening at all times. Job 12.13 says, To God belongs the wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are his. And I asked the Lord to help me understand what that means. And he said, My knowledge exceeds beyond what is currently knowable by people. I know all natural and supernatural things. I can see every motivation at the deepest part of a person's heart, the things that are even hidden from their own understanding. I know everything that has ever happened to everyone, things that affect their behavior for which they have no awareness. The fields of science seek to understand my creation. I know the answer to every complex question in the universe because I created it all. I know everything that has ever happened and ever will happen. Add together the timelessness of God's presence with the unlimited nature of his wisdom and the boundlessness of his power and unfailing nature of his omnibenevolence, and you're beginning to see how big God is. Hebrews 6, 17 and 19 says, So when God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. Thus, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have led to take hold of the hopes set before us that we may be strongly encouraged. We have this hope that as an anchor for our soul, firm and steadfast, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Lord, what do you have to say to help us understand your isness? And he said, many people question my goodness because they don't understand how a benevolent, all-knowing, everywhere present God could allow bad things to happen in this world. I want people to choose me of their own free will. And in this fallen world, there will be pain, challenges, and disappointments. What I want 
my people to know is that I cannot deny myself. To be me is far more complex than any human mind can understand. The juggling of the omni-truths of my omnibenevolence, presence, power, and wisdom are like conducting a beautiful orchestra. There are many, many moving parts. I turn around every tragedy for good according to my perfect omni-nature. You may not understand why things are happening the way they are, but asking why is the wrong question. Instead, ask who is my God. I will always work things out for your best interest. Keep your eyes on me and trust me for who I am and what I plan for you. Remember that this world is only the precursor, the opening act for your eternal destination. Trust me to show you the way. Now let's move on to something that I call God's doesness, the compound names of God. One day I was doing my homework and the Lord interrupted my meditation and said, I want you to research why Eskimos have so many words for snow. Right now, Lord? Right now. I learned a lot about snow that day, but more importantly, I learned about our own need to communicate clearly, specifically, and without confusion, especially on issues of life or death. Prayer is our way to communicate with God. The wrong prayers can have no lessened or even undesired impact. The right ones have unimaginable power. It was God that clarified his point of the assignment and what would be the formula for writing the book called How to Live a Worry-Free Life. He explained, You have heard that there are lots of words for snow in the Eskimo language. Each name of snow communicates something critical to the Eskimo's life. Life or death critical. So it is for my names. Each name communicates an aspect of me that is critical to the Christian life for trusting and abiding in me. People in Bible times encountered that part of me, and that's how those names came about. They were experiencing me as certain types of characteristics and activities for them. Like the Eskimos, who need to know each snow condition and its implication for their lives, I want you to know which of my names to call on when you pray and how to pray with authority. This will be part of what I have you teach for the kingdom with my power. Study the snow and you will better understand what I'm saying. Look for the patterns in the naming system for snow. It will inform you of the way that I want to communicate by my names, the promises that are in my word about who I am and who you are as a child of a living God, and the conditions of those promises and the fulfillment of them in people's lives. This will help you come up with the construct for the book that I'm having you to write, which was the How to Live a Worry-Free Life book, that will teach people more about how to pray with authority over the issues and challenges they face in their life by cooperating with me one name at a time. In that assignment from the Lord, he revealed to me what he most wanted people to understand. We can call on God by any of his names to make him real to us in that moment and learn directly from him how to pray with authority the victories we need in our lives. Mike Noble from the Cleveland House of Prayer calls God the trillion-faceted diamond. He often asks people, which facet have they encountered? Which facet changed their life? Some may have met the provider and can trust him with their provisional needs, but they don't know him as their friend. 
and others have met the great physician and can trust them with their physical needs, but not yet with their emotional ones. God is all of those things and so much more, and he wants to allow more and more facets of that diamond to pierce your heart and transform you. He wants you to be free, whole, and victorious. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That is with God, one day, one moment, one challenge at a time. The revelation came to me about the doesness of God when I was meditating on the name Jehovah Jireh, which in the Greek means the Lord provides. Now, first, it's important to mention that every time you see LORD in all caps, um, you are encountering Yahweh or the, uh, the isness of God. When you see capital L and O-R-D in the Bible, you are referring to Adonai, which means Lord. It's a relational understanding of who God is to you. When you call him Adonai, you're saying, I am surrendering to your authority and power. When you refer to all caps Lord or Yahweh or El, you are understanding that you are talking to the fullness of all that God is in sovereignty and surrender. A dozenous name of God will have the fullness of Yahweh, Lord, or El, or Jehovah, and then another word that follows it that implies an action, an actionable thing, something that God actually does. The fullness of God doing something with or for you. That is what a dozenous name is. So it's a compound name of God. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God promises to meet all of your needs according to all of his benevolence, power, wisdom, and presence. He is not limited in any way by the laws of this world to meet your needs. He knows everything, and he's going to provide in ways you would never have imagined. Does this give you a broader picture of what God can do? Let's take a moment to look at Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah means all that God is, added to the action of healer. Let's imagine that your doctor has said that there is nothing that can be done for your health circumstance. Does that mean that God is limited by the present level of medical intervention? Absolutely not. Actually, I think the Lord loves those kinds of circumstances to allow his power to increase the faith, not only of the person who needs healed, but those who are watching or praying for that person. God is the healer and the great physician. He should be the first doctor you ever see. Pray that God will heal you in a way that there is no medical intention, but it's really important that you pray according to God's will. Sometimes the healer will use medical intervention, and sometimes he likes to use the miraculous. But it's also important to know that healing will always happen. Sometimes it happens in heaven. So not every physical illness is necessarily healed on earth, because this is the precursor to the eternal life that we now already live. It is also important to note that Jehovah Rapha, for example, is healer of all physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental illnesses. When you call on his name for healing, make sure you give him the glory when he shows up. 
I believe that one of the biggest problems we face in the body of Christ is that we limit God in our minds and pray much below who he is and what he can do. There are many more action names of God. He's the shepherd, the comforter, the counselor, the rock, the redeemer, the savior, the shield, the fortress, the deliverer, the protector, and I could go on and on and on. The important part for me to understand was that when you see an action name of God in the Bible, remember that you add all that God is to the combination of the promise of what he is promising to do. Like the Eskimos, we need to expand our vocabulary for God. He is and does much more than we realize. There are over 936, I believe, names of God that are in the original Greek and Hebrew. They do not show up in English translations. But I will put a link below for how to find them linked in a dictionary that actually has the scripture verses. And remember, people are encountering God in the Old and New Testament in certain ways, and they give him that name because of their experience. So the big takeaway for the doesness category is that you can find the name of God, even if it's not written as calling the name of God, by looking at the verb in a scripture verse. Verbs are action words that imply doing. For example, Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say Jehovah Jireh will do that in our English book, but you know that that's the name of God that's implying because it is about the supernatural provision of God. Some are more obvious, like John 10, 14 and 15, where he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I will lay my, my life down for the sheep. John 15, 15 and 16 says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This name implies that God has created you as his friend and partner. These are two names implied by the Spurs. Before we dive into our encounter today, I wanted to take a moment to ask you for a blessing. If you have learned some new things and have drawn closer to God by this podcast, please pray for the Lord to multiply it and allow the Lord to pop a few names into your spirit for whom you could share this podcast with. Simply text or email them the link to the pattyej.podbean.com site and let them know why you've been blessed by it. And please check out my books, journals, and downloadable resources at pattysadala.com shop. And remember the code EJPOD to receive 10% off everything, even the stuff already on sale. And remember, they make great gifts too. Thank you for blessing me by your prayers and for being a listener to this podcast. If this is your first podcast experience with us, you may want to go back to the trailer episode and learn about the biblical foundation for dialogue journaling, our process for experiencing Jesus. This leads you through the first special place encounter with Jesus as a child. This is a starting point for all of our experiences with Jesus. 
For best results, it is always good to properly posture your heart for your experience by welcoming Jesus' presence with praise and thanksgiving and playing with him in the special place as a child for a few minutes before asking for anything from him. Hopefully by now you are getting very comfortable experiencing Jesus and playing with him in your special place before you ask him any questions. What I want you to do in this case is I want you to ask him to show you and help you understand something about his isness. How have you made God too small in your mind? What more does God want you to understand about the omni nature of who he is? Then allow the Lord to introduce himself to you as the compound doesness name you most need in your life right now. Take all the time you need and record it all in your journal. Well, I hope you got to meet a new facet of that diamond of who God is today. And I hope that you have gained a memory with an aspect of God that you can go back and meet again and again. And I hope you will join us on this podcast adventure. Follow this podcast and forward it to others that you think may be blessed by it. And check out all the links below. They are designed to take you deeper. I thank God for you and bless you in Jesus' name.